We are starting a new series this morning called An Elevated Life. And so um, if you have your Bibles, you can grab those and go to Matthew chapter 5. And if you are like myself and prefer the printed copy of the Bible and you have one of those cool little ribbons, you can just go ahead and mark Matthew chapter 5 because we're going to be in and around uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for the next few weeks. Um, so, uh, we, like I said, we're starting a new series called An Elevated Life and, and really going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. We won't, be, we won't look at like every specific, you know, every single line, every single word of the Sermon on the Mount, but we are going to look at some of the, uh, take most of it and kind of pull it out, look at it. Um, but before I, we actually get into that, I, I've got a, a little bit of a challenge to lay before you, Okay. Um, if all goes as planned, this series will run us through uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving into November. Uh, and maybe you're like, wow, we're already talking about November. Yes. Also, did you know Christmas is less than 100 days away? So there's some parents just like heightened stress level right there. Okay. Uh, but yes, we are. It's like 98, 97 days away. So get ready. Okay. Uh, but anyways... Uh, If if all goes as planned, this series will take us through that Sunday after Thanksgiving. And and here's the challenge to you, uh, is we are hoping to have, hoping uh, to have about six to seven people at each campus that would be willing to say, I will memorize part of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, now maybe that sounds daunting, or maybe you're really good at that kind of thing, Um, but here, just sort of to break it down so it's not as intimidating, if, if we get six to seven people that would say, I'm willing to memorize at least a section of the Sermon on the Mount, that breaks down to around, I think it's between 15 and 20 verses a person. Uh, and then here's what we're going to ask you to do is on that Sunday, I think it's the 20, I probably wrote it down here, the 27th, November 27th, uh, what we're hoping to do is to take the six or seven of you uh, including myself, I don't want to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. Six or seven of us will, will take the Sermon on the Mount and recite it primarily from memory in front of everyone. See, you were good up until that point, weren't you? Uh, you were good. Uh, there are studies that show like people are more afraid of public speaking than death. So, um, but if you would be willing to do that, okay, one, we would be very appreciative uh, and, and here's the deal. If you're not willing to do that, if I don't get enough people to kind of do that, it just means I'm going to have to preach longer than I had planned on that Sunday. So really the choice is yours, okay? Uh, but if you're willing to do that, I'm going to be down front. Uh, we'll talk about that after the service, if you just meet me down here. Uh, so now I know nobody's coming up after service. They're just, I'm going to be like an island down here, and nobody's like, nope, no only part of that. Uh, but for real, if you want to, uh, just meet me down here. I'll remind you at the end of service, and we'll go over some of that. All right, back to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, what we have here, right, Matthew 5 through 7 is the longest recorded teaching of Jesus in all of Scripture. Okay, it's not to say that he didn't teach longer than that, but the, uh, the Holy Spirit did not see fit to inspire the authors of the Bible to record anything longer than this. So we have the longest recorded uh, teaching in all of the Gospels. Uh, and And the point of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus just laying out, here's what it looks like uh, to live as an 
as a disciple or to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. Okay, and uh, it's worth pointing out, we're not going to go all the way back to Matthew, we're not going to go back to the first verse, but if you look at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is about to teach and he goes up on the mountain. He's, he's been with a crowd of people. Uh, he goes up on the mountain and it says his, his disciples come near and he begins to teach them. Right? So it's, uh, I have no doubt that some of the crowd was there hearing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but it's directed primarily at Jesus' disciples. Okay? And, and here's why I think that's important. is because the Sermon on the Mount is not uh, a list of criteria that you have to meet before you can become a child of God or before you can become a citizen of God's kingdom. Right? That's not what the Sermon on the Mount is. Right? The Sermon on the Mount is uh, it's, it's meant to equip those uh, that are already, already disciples. Right? It's meant to take those who have already uh, submitted their lives to Jesus Christ whose hearts have been transformed uh, by Jesus Christ. And it's to, to lay before those who are citizens of God's kingdom what it looks like to live faithfully as a citizen of his kingdom uh, in the world that we live in, right? And, and I, would, I would go so far as to say that, that once you start digging into the kind of what Jesus lays before his disciples to say this is what it looks like to live as a citizen uh, of, of a heavenly kingdom, I would submit to you that it's not even possible to live to that standard apart from a heart that's already been transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And so uh, with all that said, and I told you we're not going to look at all of the Sermon on the Mount. We're just going to look at some, some different chunks of it. Um, but if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 21 because here's where Jesus really starts to dig into some of the uh, sort of the moral components of what it looks like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so here's what Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, starting in verse 21. We'll read through verse 26. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother, and then... Come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So if you were here a couple weeks ago, we were, uh, we were still in our series on Exodus and, and we left kind of the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. God had just given the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, and what we see already here, right out of the gate, is Jesus kind of looking back to that, right? The Ten Commandments. And then the, the one that he pulls out to address first is the Sixth Commandment, which is, right, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, depending on what version of, of the Bible that you have. 
but so that's what Jesus says here in verse 21, right? He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, talking about the people of Israel, Old Testament, you, you, you know the commandment, uh, you shall not murder. Uh, and he goes on and says, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. All right, but then Jesus takes that, the command that they, they would have known, and, and he, he presses it a little deeper, right? Because he goes on in verse 22 and he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So effectively, what, what Jesus has just done here is has taken anger right, and, and equated it with, with murder. Right, now that's, that's pretty bold, right? That's coming in hot to say that all of a sudden anger is, is equated with, with murder. But, but first, before we kind of dig into that, let me tease out what's, what's happening here. Um, I do think it's important to say that not all anger is sinful, right? Not all anger is sinful, right? If you, uh, the, the verses we just read earlier when we were dedicating uh, these children to be raised in the, uh, the discipline and instruction of the Lord, the, the, those verses talked about how God is slow to anger, which implies that God does get angry. It just takes him a long time to get there, right? He's patient, right? So, so anger in itself is not sinful. And then Elsewhere in the Bible, you would see uh, these commands to uh, like, be angry, but do not sin. In other words, like, anger and sin are not always, uh, like, they're not always the same. They, they can be mutually exclusive. Right? So the reason I think that's important is because um, there are things in this world that should make us angry. Right? There, are, there is evil and injustice that that I would, I would submit to you should make us angry. But what Jesus is talking about specifically here is this unjust, uh, sort of unrighteous anger towards a brother or, or a sister, towards another person uh, created in God's image. Right? That's the, the, the primary context of what Jesus is talking about here. And so you go back to uh, him e- equating anger with murder. Uh, Jesus is not... Here's what Jesus is not doing. He's not saying murder is here, anger is here. Let me elevate anger to where it's on par with, with murder. That, that's not exactly what's happening here. It's not like he's taking a, it's not like anger is a second tier sin that he's just like given a promotion. Right? What Jesus is doing here, he's, he's really uh, getting at the heart of the sixth commandment, which was you shall not murder. In fact, over the next few weeks, here's what you're going to see uh, as we kind of talk about some of the different things in the the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is is really concerned uh, with the heart. uh, He's not taking the law and adding to the law. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's he's taking the law and he's going to take it and, and get to the heart of the law, to get to the center of it, like what it's really all about. And so... Uh, that's what he's doing here. He's taking this command, you shall not murder, and he's going to dive into like, what's at the heart of this command? All right? Uh, but to give you some, some context, uh, these verses, verses 21 through 26, they come immediately after uh, Jesus has just talked about a group of people called the scribes and the Pharisees. All right? And, and so just so we're on the, the same page, 
The scribes and Pharisees were some of the religious people of the day, and they were, when it came to God's law, all right, the, the things that we talked about a couple weeks ago, starting with the Ten Commandments, but there's like over 600 of them. The scribes and the Pharisees were like first team all Israel at keeping the law, right? They were fantastic at it. In fact, uh, the, the, the Pharisees specifically, you know, they, they had the law memorized, all 613, I believe it is, commands, like just knew it, could recite it. Uh, on top of that, they were like, you know what? Why settle for 600? Let's go ahead and add some more man-made laws on top of it, right? They, they loved the law, they, they knew the law, uh, but the problem was that the scribes and the Pharisees believed in sort of an, an outside-in righteousness. And what I mean by that is, is they believed that as long as they performed well, as long as, as, long as they uh, obeyed, as long as they looked good on the outside, it, it didn't really matter if God's law uh, had penetrated their hearts as long as they looked good on the outside, Right? In their minds, the condition of their heart was secondary to as long as I keep this law. And the problem is, though, is that's not righteousness at all. At least, it's self-righteousness. It's nothing more than that. Right? It's like, it'd be like taking fruit and just stapling it to a tree. Right? Like, that's not true fruit of righteousness. That's why Jesus, later on in the book of Matthew, he's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people, and he says, he compares them to whitewashed tombs. He says, they look great on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of death. Right? They, they look great on the outside, but on the inside, their hearts are far from where they, they ought to be. And so, here's what Jesus is making it clear here in, in talking about anger and equating it with murder, he's making a point that he's far more concerned with the heart than just sort of external religious obedience. Right? Not saying that obedience to the law is a bad thing. It's a good thing. We should obey the law. But it's got to be motivated by or come from a heart right, that, that has been transformed by the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus Christ. Right? It, it's He's more concerned about the heart than just the sort of external obedience. And so, according to Jesus, you've got murder and you've got anger. And in Jesus' mind, to be guilty of, of unjust, unrighteous anger towards another image bearer is, is effectively to be guilty of premeditated murder. And, and maybe you're like, come on, Larkin. That's a little extreme, right? I mean, premeditated murder? Really? Here's, let me give you this. This is what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says. James 1, verses 14 and 15. He says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And in other words, James's point is that sin always follows a progression. Right? Sin always follows a, a progression. And more specifically, every sinful act first begins as a corrupt desire of the human heart. 
Right? Before sin ever works its way out to our hands, it first begins as a, a desire, a corrupt, evil desire somewhere in the depths of our, of our hearts. And that's, why, that's why Jesus can, can look at, at anger, unjust, unrighteous anger towards a brother and say, this is effectively murder. Right? If, if this continues down the path that it could, like it's, it's murder. Because every act of murder has begun with this unjust, unrighteous anger in the depth of, of the human heart. Right? And, and I know, again, the, the pushback on that is to say, yeah, okay, but I would never murder anyone. And you might be right. I hope you're right. right? But here's, here's what else I know. Right? That, that doesn't mean you should just leave anger unaddressed. Right, if I could give you an illustration, here's, I'm willing to bet that if you went to the doctor this week and he pulled up your scans, your, your charts, all that kind of stuff, and he looked at it and he said, hey, do you have a, a cancerous mass? Um, but I don't think anything will happen to it, so I'm not really going to deal with it. We're just going to leave it there. My guess is that you're going to be like, um, I'm going to need a second opinion on that. Right? Or, or if you're a little more forceful, like you would tell your doctor in no uncertain terms, cut that out of me. Or, or give me the treatment that will get rid of that. Because right? you don't want it, you don't even want the potential of it to grow, even if the doctor's like, it probably won't. We don't really know. Right? And, and if we're that, and if we are, uh, if we're that diligent to get rid of something that will destroy the body, should we not be all the more diligent to get rid of something that will destroy our souls? All right? So, and that's what Jesus is going to get to. All right, so first he kind of addresses anger. He says the, the importance of it, anger, murder. We're on the same page here. But then he goes on in verses 23 and, and 20, through 26. And he gives these two sort of examples of, of what it looks like uh, to, to deal with the anger that, that we see in our own hearts. Let me read the first one, verses 23 and 24. It says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. He says, First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Right? So the, the first scenario that Jesus is going to lay uh, before the audience and before us is has to do with worship, all right? And he, uh, I want you to think about the significance of what Jesus is saying here. Right? He, he's saying that that if you're in the middle of worship, right? And he's talking about first century uh, audience here, where they're in the their temple and they're performing their their acts or giving their sacrifices, right? He says if you're in the middle of worship and and you just remember that your brother is angry with you or there's, there's a rift, then you need to like, drop what you're doing and first go be reconciled to your brother. Right? The, the point that Jesus is making is that when we realize there's, there's anger that exists, like we need to take the initiative to deal with it. It should be dealt with immediately. Right? Don't, don't put it off. 
Like, don't wait for your brother or, or, or sister or whoever. Don't, don't wait for them to come to you with it. Like, if you know it's there, you go deal with it. You take the initiative. You take the first step. Right? Because according to Jesus, being reconciled to uh, a brother, a sister, someone who, you, who there's, there's anger that exists between you, being reconciled to them takes priority over your worship. And like hearing that, like, that, like at a surface level, doesn't that kind of sound like blasphemous? Like God is more concerned with uh, your relationship with, with another person than your relationship with him? Right? And, but it's because anger towards another, right? unrighteous, unjust anger towards another image bearer, right? it, it has implications on our relationship with God. Right? Our worship is hindered when that anger exists at a, at a horizontal level. In fact, here's what, here's what John writes, 1 John 3. 15, he says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In other words, your relationship with God is hindered by your anger towards another. And to have a heart that, that willingly chooses to, to hold on to anger, that, that refuses to address it, refuses to acknowledge it, refuses to deal with it, but just hangs on to it, and that, to, to let that grow inside of you and refuse to, to eradicate it, what John is saying is, is if that's your heart, then, then there's no confidence before the Lord that, that you are a child of God, right? To, to have anger in your heart that you refuse to deal with. Right? I mean, you, there is no assurance of eternal life if that's your heart. So the, the, the point is that unresolved anger is serious business that needs to be dealt with immediately. Right? But, but not only does it need to be dealt with immediately, it needs to be dealt with completely, fully, sufficiently. And that's the point of the next two verses. Verse 25, Jesus changes from a, a worship service and he goes to kind of the setting of a, of a courtroom. Or actually, before you get to a courtroom, he says, come to terms quickly with your accuser. That come to terms is like to settle the offense, right? Settle, settle it before it gets to court. That's what Jesus is saying here. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. Right? But before it ever gets put before the judge, before there's ever sentencing, before there's ever penalties, settle it fully completely, finally, get rid of it, right? eradicate it. Right, now that sounds easy, but it's not always easy. So another illustration, uh, sometime back last fall, uh, we, by we, I mean Kelly, uh, we cleaned up some landscaping in the, the back of our house, uh, listen, I'm competent in several areas, at least I feel like it. When it comes to landscaping, I'm like, I, I don't know. If it were up to me, like, we would just have all concrete and just no grass, okay? Um, but anyways, back to the story. We were, again, Kelly, cleaning out landscaping in our house. At, but one of the, we, we cut off, like, you know, we had all this growth and brush, and it looked awful. Um, if you come to our house now, you'd be like, 
Are you sure you cleaned it out? Uh, no, because, and here's why. We cleaned out the top, got rid of all the growth and the, all that stuff, uh, but what we failed to do was dig up all the roots. I'm not saying my bride didn't try. It's just like we need a stinking tractor. If you've got a tractor, come to my house. Uh, I need some help pulling some stuff out of the lawn, okay? But because we didn't get all the roots out and all that out, guess what's back this fall? Exactly, you know, all the stuff that was there before, right? And, and, and this, this illustration is kind of what it's like when it gets to talk about anger. Because uh, anger is a secondary emotion, right? I, I am not a counselor by trade. I've had some counseling classes, but one of the things they tell us uh, in our counseling classes was, is anger is just the fruit of something. Because underneath that, the, the root of anger is always something else. It can be uh, embarrassment. It can be hurt, pain, trauma. Uh, you, you feel like you've been wronged. It could be any number of stress, anxiety, it could be any, any number of things. Right? Anger is just the fruit that we see. So when we talk about getting rid of anger and, and eradicating it, do whatever it takes to, to get rid of it. And we've got to do the hard work of, of acknowledging our anger, but, but also getting under it to say, what's actually here? Like, what is it that makes me angry? Like, wh- why is it that I'm always at a volume level 10? Right? And, and man, that's, that's hard work. Right? That's, that's hard work to get kind of under what we see and feel like, why am I responding in this way? Right? But if we're going to eradicate anger fully and completely the way that Jesus says, like, it's something we've, we've got to do. We've got to do the hard work. We've got to get our hands dirty. And I would, listen, any time that I have a chance to kind of lay before you the importance of good, godly relationships, I'm going to do that. And, and this is kind of one of those areas, areas, right? Because sometimes we don't even know what's in the deepest parts of our heart, right? Like we have blind spots. We all do. It's okay to acknowledge them. And, and I think anytime that you can sit in a room with, uh, with a believer, with a trusted brother or, or sister and say, hey, help me diagnose, like, why, why am I angry? Right? This is the beauty of the church. Right? When Jesus is telling us to eradicate this from, from our lives, one of the gifts that he uses to do that is other believers that we're in fellowship with. Right? People that, that are imperfect like us, that we can sit down and, and just help navigate. They can help us navigate and find these places in our hearts that we need to sort of dig out and lay before the Lord and say, I need help with, with this. Right? People that will help you discover and deal with the, the deep issues of your heart. Right? That is a gift from God. So let's kind of summarize. So we've got anger is a serious issue. Right? It, is, uh, it, it breaks your relationships with others. It hinders your relationship, your worship of God. And because of that, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, says this is something that has to be dealt with quickly, immediately, but also fully, completely. 
Right? Don't, just, don't just lop off what's above the surface. We've got to dig a little bit to see what's really at the root of the issue. And so then the question is, how do you do that? Like, what does that mean for us at a, at a practical level? And, and I think the starting point is just before you can actually deal with an issue or eradicate or remove an issue, like, you actually have to admit that it's an issue. You've you got to admit and acknowledge that, there's, uh, that, the, that there is anger and it is dangerous and it is real. And, and there's a temptation to downplay it. Right? I, I know that. That's the human heart. There's a temptation to say, like, ah, yeah, I get angry, but it's not that big of a deal. Right? There's a, there's a temptation to, or, or not only that, there's a temptation to say, like, yeah, but you don't know, like, you don't know the root of my, you don't know what that person did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know the pain and trauma that they've caused me. You don't know, like, how that's affected me for years of my life. And you're right, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a clue. I don't have to know to tell you that no one has ever sinned against you more than you've sinned against God. Right? I don't care what's happened to you. And I'm, listen, I'm not, some of you guys have had awful things happen to you. Some of you guys are still walking through awful things. I, I've, I've talked to you on the phone, I've talked to you in my office. There are some of you that there's been things that you've witnessed, you've seen, you've experienced that like is unfathomable. And yet, I want to be just bold enough to say that, that even at that, no one has sinned against you more than you've sinned against God. And then what was God's response to that? It was to take that just anger, righteous anger toward your sin and, and not to throw it all on you but to put it on Jesus on the cross. Right? We just referenced 1 John. One of the things that John says is that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. Right? It's a big fancy theological word. It just means that Jesus satisfied all of God's anger and wrath toward our sin. Right, so, so no one has sinned against you more than you've sinned against God, and yet God took your sin, put it on the shoulders of Jesus on the cross, so that through Jesus, through faith in Jesus, you could receive grace upon grace and mercies that are new every morning. So I just... To hold on to anger when the God of the Bible, who's been sinned against and rebelled against from nearly the beginning, when he was willing to, to get rid of that anger, to dispose of that anger, rather than laying that on you, like, like what right do we have to hold on to it? And to, to white knuckle it and say, like, no, this is mine to hold on to. So I, I just want to be bold enough and love you enough to tell you that, that to hang on to that kind of anger, I'm telling you, will rot your soul. It will rot your soul. Just like the cancer reference earlier, 
That's what anger will do. So, so that's acknowledging that it's a real issue. But on the other end of the spectrum, I'm, I'm trying to hit us all equally here because what I also know is there's, there's some of us here that, that are more like me. And what I mean by that is, is like I just don't think of myself as an angry person. Like I, I'm just kind of laid back, right? Just kind of go with the flow. And so I don't think of myself as being an angry person, but I, I just don't want to be so naive to think that there is an anger that can still, can still be in my heart, or, or if you're like me in my heart. Maybe you're laid back and kind of casual, and that's your thing. But, but listen, anger doesn't always look like volume level 10. Right? You, you don't have to punch holes through walls or yell at the top of your voice to be angry. And so one of the things I've prayed this week is that the Lord would just reveal, like, where is this in my heart? And so sometimes anger doesn't look like, you know, blowing up in a fit of rage, but it can look like uh, sort of just an overly critical spirit or uh, chronic complaining. Or it can look like uh, just... I mean, just quiet bitterness. You know, maybe you never say anything, don't even address it, but like deep in your heart and soul, there's a bitterness and resentment that's just growing towards someone over, over something that they've done. Or, or may, maybe it's, maybe anger for you just kind of works its way out in sort of passive-aggressive, sarcastic comments. So what I'm trying to, to present to you is that, that anger doesn't look one specific way. It looks a lot of different ways, but it all comes from the same issue in the depths of our hearts. Right? An angry, an angry, just sinful compulsion that, that works its way out in, in different ways. And so whatever it looks like for you, wherever you are on that spectrum, whether you're like, I'm volume 10 or maybe higher when I'm angry, or I just like constantly hum at like a low two when I'm angry, like wherever you are on that spectrum, like we got we to gotta go beyond just acknowledging it and take action. Because that's what Jesus says here, right? He, he didn't just say, hey, heads up, be careful. Anger and murder are kind of on the same page. And he, he went on and he gave examples. You've got to deal with it immediately. You've got to deal with it completely. And so let's get really practical here before we land the plane. Maybe for you, like you, you need to reach out to someone today. As you've talked about, you've sit here and listened to, to me jabber about anger. Uh, like there's something in the back of your mind, you're like, like a, a, a switch has been flipped. Maybe you can see a person's face or a person's name kind of in the, the back of your mind, for you, maybe the response this morning is you need to like have a conversation. Like Jesus said, to go immediately to that person and say, hey, we, we, gotta, we gotta work this out. Right? Maybe if we really take Jesus at his word, maybe like before the band sings, like you actually need to get up and go make a phone call. Right? That's a surefire way to make sure that nobody gets up during the response time, because nobody wants to be the, you know, nobody wants to be the person that everybody looks at like, oh, they've got anger issues, huh? You know? But, but for real, like, 
if that's what you need to do, may, may we not ever be a people who's going to judge someone who's responding to the conviction of the Spirit in their life. So if you need to get up and go make a phone call, go make a phone call. I kind of think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Deal with it immediately. Right? Or again, maybe, maybe you're here and you don't, you don't feel particularly angry toward anyone. Right? You've, you're sitting here and you're like, this is great. It doesn't really land on me in a specific place this morning. I'm like, that's okay. Praise God if you're not angry towards anyone that you can think of. That's, right? Praise God for his protection in your life and for the, the work of the Spirit in your life, that you wouldn't hold on to that anger. But I would also encourage you just to, to also ask the Lord to sort of heighten your awareness. Right? Even if you're not a punch-a-hole-through-drywall person, right? just to heighten your awareness. Like when anger takes root, ask the Lord to, to help you see it, to reveal it, so that you might repent, deal with it quickly, immediately, and completely. And then lastly, maybe you're here and we talk about sort of anger and deep-rooted, uh, just deep-rooted anger and you hear Jesus' words to deal with it immediately and completely and you just feel like, I don't even know where to start. Because right? maybe that's something that has taken hold in your heart. Maybe you're one of those people that you are uh, walking through something that, that is unfathomable or, or you have in your past and you're just like, I've got anger that I don't even know what to do with. Like Jesus tells me to deal with it. I, I literally don't even know where to start. Right? And, and if that's you, I would say, one, that's okay. Right? Acknowledge it is step one. Acknowledge that it's there. Right? It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And so what I would encourage you is to don't walk through that alone. Right? If you would look at your heart and say, like, man, there's, there's some deep-rooted anger here that I need some help with, and I would just say, get some help. Right? Maybe that means you reach out to a, a trusted friend. Right? When I say trusted friend, I mean someone who's going to love you enough to help you, not just commiserate with you and tell you what you want to hear. Right, I mean, reach out to someone who's going to love you enough to say, hey, let me help you with this. Let me, let me help you walk through this, navigate this. Let me help you do the hard work of, of digging this stuff up by the root. Right, maybe it's someone in this room. Right, that's a good start. Invite somebody out to coffee over lunch. Just like, hey, I, I, need, some, I need some help with this. Right, or maybe it's, maybe it's, Complex, and maybe you need a, a counselor of some sort. Listen, don't ever, don't ever be afraid of getting the help that you need. Right? Don't ever be afraid. Because what, what I want for you, more importantly, what the Lord wants from you, is to, to take this thing, this anger that, that's rooted deep within the, in the depths of your heart, and he wants to, to pull it out. He wants to pull it out. And so whatever that looks like for you, however you need to respond this morning, I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit can do what only the Holy Spirit can do, can, can show you what does this look like for you? Where are you on the spectrum here? How do, how do you respond to Jesus' call to, to acknowledge your anger, to deal with it quickly, and to deal with it completely? All right, so we're going to ask the Spirit to do that 
this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you and uh, I know this falls on us all differently uh, because of our life experiences, because of maybe our current situations and circumstances. Um, Lord, I, I may not know how to apply this word to every person in this room exactly, but I, I trust that your spirit will. And so, Father, where there's, where there's anger, deep-rooted anger in our hearts, I pray that you would begin the hard work of, of revealing that. Um, Lord, help us to have the, the eyes to see it, the courage to acknowledge it. Um, Lord, give us the, the strength to begin doing the, the work of eradicating it, to pulling it up by the roots. Lord, may we be a people who, who will not let unjust, unrighteous anger uh, grow in the depths of our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, you would help us with that. Father, I pray that um, maybe if it's not us, maybe if we don't feel that in our own hearts, but maybe there's brothers and sisters around us that, uh, that they, would, they would be so bold and courageous as to come to us and say, I need help with this. May we be a people who would be willing to walk with them to help them eradicate the anger that's rooted deep in their hearts. And then, Father, help us to be a people who are just constantly aware of where, where anger might be trying to take hold or where resentment might be gaining a foothold or, or bitterness might be growing in our lives. Help us to see those places that we might quickly and completely eradicate that kind of anger. Lord, so that we might live with pure hearts before, yes, our, our brothers and our sisters, but also more importantly, that we might live in purity before you that we might worship you uh, with, with, with clean hands and a pure heart. And most importantly, Lord, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. We thank you that, uh, that, that you, you were just and right to, to pour out your anger on us, but instead you chose to satisfy your anger through Jesus on the cross so that, that we might receive grace upon grace upon grace Mercy that is new every morning. We thank you for that. Praise you for that. I pray that, that your, your kindness and your grace towards us would then lead us to repent as, as your spirit leads us. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.